0: Our scripture reading today comes from the Gospel of Luke, chapter 6, verses 37 through 49, and it's printed on your bulletin insert. Judge not, and you will not be judged. Condemn not, and you will not be condemned. Forgive, and you will be forgiven. Give, and it will be given to you. Good measure, pressed down, shaken together, running over, will be put into your lap. For with the measure you use, it will be measured back to you. He also told them a parable. Can a blind man lead a blind man? Will they not both fall into a pit? A disciple is not above his teacher, but everyone, when he is fully trained, will be like his teacher. Why do you see the speck that is in your brother's eye, but do not notice the log that is in your own eye? How can you say to your brother, Brother, let me take out the speck that is in your eye? when you yourself do not see the log that is in your own eye. You hypocrite, first take the log out of your own eye, and then you will see clearly to take out the speck that is in your brother's eye. For no good tree bears bad fruit, nor again does a bad tree bear good fruit, for each tree is known by its own fruit. For figs are not gathered from thorn bushes, nor are grapes picked from a bramble bush. The good person, out of the good treasure of his heart, produces good." And the evil person, out of his evil treasure, produces evil, for out of the abundance of the heart his mouth speaks. Why do you call me Lord, Lord, and not do what I tell you? Everyone who comes to me and hears my words and does them, I will show you what he is like. He is like a man building a house, who dug deep and laid the foundation on the rock. And when a flood arose, the stream broke against that house and could not shake it, because it had been well built." But the one who hears and does not do them is like a man who built a house on the ground without a foundation. When the stream broke against it, immediately it fell, and the ruin of that house was great.
1: Almighty King, our merciful Father, it is from your hands that we have received all that we have. In the Lord Jesus Christ, you have blessed us with every spiritual blessing. And, Father, you have also provided for all of our temporal needs. And so we return now to you what what has first come to us from your hand and ask that you would use these gifts, these tithes, and these offerings for your glory in this world in order that your kingdom would be advanced upon this earth, in order that the wonderful good news of the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ would be proclaimed to all the nations. Father, as we prepare now to sit beneath your word to hear again of the good news, the glorious and wondrous good news of Jesus who came to purchase a people for himself, we pray that you would help us to realize that as we come into this room, though we come from different places, some anxious, some worn out and exhausted, some battered and beaten down by life and some Excited and anxious to be here this morning. We, we pray that you would help us to see that the truth is that we're really all the same. And the truth is that we're all far more broken, far more flawed, far more twisted than we could have ever imagined about ourselves. And so we all stand in need of the same thing this morning. We stand in need of the wonderful good news of the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ to know that because of his person and his work, though we are far more flawed than we could imagine, because of him we are also at the same time far more loved and far more secure and far more accepted than we could have ever dreamed possible. So we pray that you would take us to Calvary, that you would help us with the eyes of faith to see the Lord Jesus Christ in whose name we do pray. Amen. Please be seated. <clears throat> well, last week we started a new series, a series that I'm calling uh, Stories of the Kingdom, uh, because in this series we're going to look at the stories that Jesus told. Sometimes we refer to those stories that he told in the Bible as parables. And what we're going to do is we're going to... Luke has more parables than any other gospel writer includes, and so we're going to make our way through Luke's gospel by looking at the stories Jesus told. And this morning in the verses that we read earlier from Luke chapter 6, we're looking at a section that actually contains um, maybe about five miniature parables, all in this one passage. Um, And what you need to understand is that in Luke 6, Luke records for us, Luke is recording for us in that chapter, he's recording for us a sermon that Jesus told and that he preached to a great crowd that had gathered around him. And in this sermon, <clears throat> though we're not looking at the whole thing this morning, we're just looking at a section of it, but in this sermon, Jesus was explaining his kingdom uh, that he came to establish. And so he talked about the character of the citizens of his kingdom, how they were poor and hungry, and they were those who were weeping, right? And and those who were persecuted and insulted, right? So he said, you know, blessed are the poor and the hungry and those who weep and those who are persecuted and insulted. You know, a pretty upside down kingdom that he came to establish. Right. And then he talked about the radically different lifestyle uh, that his kingdom citizens would live in his kingdom. You know, and he he said, in my kingdom, we're going to flip it so upside down, you know, far more than just not hating our enemies. We're going to love our enemies. This is the kingdom, the upside down kingdom I came to establish. And we're picking it up as Jesus starts to head for the conclusion of his sermon in Luke chapter 6. The place where he, we're headed for the place where he is going to bluntly ask us each, now what? You know, now what are you going to do with my kingdom? But before we get there, let me prepare you for the path that we're about to travel this morning. E- each of these parables could easily <clears throat> make a sermon on their, on their very own, right? Um, but what I want to try to do this morning is show you how they all fit together here in Luke chapter 6. Not too long ago, we had taken our kids uh, to some fast food restaurant and like good parents... Uh, we gave them rotten, terrible food. Uh, we bought everybody a Happy Meal. Um, we we ate, and and you know, in the Happy Meal, inside the bag, there's the little prize. You know, it's sealed in plastic. That little toy in the Happy Meal. Well, the, all the kids got that, and it had been some time. We got home, and and I, I walked through a room in my house, and I, and I noticed one of my children getting frustrated with this prize that they had that they had received in the Happy Meal, um, this little toy, this cheap little toy. And this child was literally walking into the kitchen to throw that toy into the trash can. Um, And that's when I stepped in and took a look at the toy. Nothing was wrong with the toy. Everything was fine with the toy. But he just didn't understand. uh, uh, He did not understand how it worked, and how to put it together and make it work. I can't even remember what the toy was, but once I was able to show him what this toy was supposed to do and put it together for him so that he could actually use it, um, and this is what you do with this toy. I mean, that toy went from a piece of uh, you know, unwanted plastic that was about to be discarded in the trash to providing hours and hours of entertainment uh, for my son uh, and lots of fun. Now, I want to try to pull these stories together for you this morning, hoping that you will see how very, very practical and how very, very useful this stuff is for your life, for your real, everyday, ordinary life. Hoping that it will make a lot of sense to you when we get to the end and we hear Jesus ask us, now what? Now what are you going to do with my radical, upside-down kingdom? What difference is it really going to make in your life? Because I think Jesus is saying here, that his kingdom is meant to explode into your life. That it's meant to explode into your life with real, tangible, practical, clear choices and applications in your life. You're meant to use this stuff in your real life. Now, you have an outline on that insert in your bulletin, a brief little outline. And yesterday I was thinking about this. I thought I could maybe change those points to make those the points stick a little bit more and hopefully drive the application home. So... If you're a note taker, you know, you can change these. I'm not, but maybe some of you are. Um, But here's my point. First, Jesus says to us. First, he says to us, stop playing God in your life. And then second, Jesus says to us, stop hiding. And then finally and thirdly, he says to us, build your life on the unshakable foundation." So, right, three very practical things for you to do. Stop judging, stop hiding, and build on the unshakable foundation. So first, Jesus says, stop playing God. Jesus says at the very beginning of verse 37, judge not. And, you know, immediately when we hear those words, they sound pretty contemporary, right? I mean, we live in a culture which we are bombarded with terms like this. No judging. You know, don't make any judgment calls, practice tolerance at all costs, right? Don't claim to know right and wrong and an absolute standard and so on. But listen, that's not what Jesus is saying here. That's not his point in these verses. I think Jesus' main point in verses 37 and 38 is really him saying this. Don't play God with other people. I I saw this bumper sticker (coughs) on someone's car this week. Um. I thought it was funny. Um, It said, I'm sorry, I got something in my throat. throat) It said on this bumper sticker, I dream of a world where chickens can cross the road without having their without having their motives questioned. Um, I thought it was fascinating. It was a lot of words. I had to get really close to the car to read it. Um, Now, I'm not saying this is the only application of this, but I think this is absolutely huge for us. I mean, this is how we often play God with other people, right? We elevate ourselves as the standard and we look down on everyone else from our superior little perch, you know, and we pretend to be able to see into the hearts of other people and be able to judge their motives and their intentions. You know, she's so needy. He's so controlling. She's so manipulative. He's so rigid and cold. He obviously doesn't care about holiness in his life or whatever it might be. Jesus is getting right up in our faces and saying that we have a tendency. We have an inclination. We have an impulse even to play God in other people's lives. We start pretending that we know the beginning from the end, right? That we can untangle and pull apart and unravel the motives of other people's hearts. That we're in a position somehow to call the shots and are sufficient in and of ourselves to be the standard of right and wrong. You know, we do this whether we... Whether we voice it in our gossip or, or, or whether we cover it or whether we cover its rottenness with our nice little southern icing, you know, bless her heart. She's so um, or even if we never voice it and we simply in our hearts nurse that deep, cynical, judgmental, bitter and and superior attitude towards others. Jesus is saying we often do this. We often step in and assume God's role in other people's lives. And he is saying that is a very dangerous business to be in. <clears throat> when I was a little kid, I used to love when my family were from South Louisiana. I used to love when my parents took us to New Orleans. And I used to love to get to walk around Jackson Square. Um, Jackson Square in New Orleans where all the... Uh, street artists and performers kind of set up and do their thing. And one thing that always caught, caught my attention were those those artists who who sat there and did caricature drawings of uh, of people that would pay them money. Um, I really love the break dancers too, but that's a story for another time. You know what I'm talking about? What I'm talking about when I'm talking about character artists? I'm talking about these. These artists, who they have this blank cabinets, and, and they very quickly, when someone sits down in front of them, they draw their portrait. But they do it in such a way that they're really trying to accentuate and, and make it disproportionate, right? And so if you have a big nose, they're going to draw it huge. And if you have big hair, it's going to dominate the page, right? Big eyes, ears, whatever. They're, they're going to pick up on that immediately, and they're going to put it into their picture, And the person who's getting their picture drawn, they're sitting there nervously waiting, you know, what is he going to do with me? What is he going to do with my face? And, uh, you know, finally he turns it around and all the family and friends of that person, they just laugh. They're like, oh, he nailed you, all that kind of stuff. It's it's hilarious stuff. Um, Essentially, this is what we do when we step into God's role and start playing God with other people. We become caricature artists of others. Right in trying to untangle the motives and hearts of others, we accentuate to grand proportions. Right, the character of others, and we brand her or him liar, cold, heartless, rigid, licentious, manipulative, whatever you might, whatever label you might want to give. But listen, you never do that to yourself. (laughs) I never do that to myself. Right? We give ourselves plenty of grace where we give others absolutely none, right? We have a different standard for ourselves, a different measure for ourselves. We say, sure, it was a lie, but I'm not a liar. You know, it was complicated. You don't understand the situation I was in. You know, I know I came off cold, but I'm not cold. Trust me, it's complicated. You don't know the kind of stress I'm under, right? I know that I gave into that temptation, but it's complicated. You don't know the kind of day or the kind of week that I've had. Here it is. I will gladly play God in your life and talk about your flaws, but don't you dare talk about a single one of my flaws. That's how we do it. Throughout those verses, Jesus is saying, judge not and you won't be judged. Condemn not and you won't be condemned. Forgive and you will be forgiven and with the measure you use, it will be measured to you. You are playing God, but the truth is, Jesus is saying, you're in the same boat as everyone else. You know, there's actually immense, unbelievable, great freedom for you and for me. If we can stop judging and stop playing God in other people's lives. But how do you get that freedom to stop doing this? Because this comes so, so very natural to us. I mean, mean, it's an instinct of ours, an inclination, an impulse of ours. How do you stop judging? I'm telling you right now. It's not that easy to, to just stop. Well, let's go on. Second, Jesus says, stop hiding. I mean, here we get these parables about blind men leading blind men and a guy with a log in his eye, you know, trying to do eye surgery in his brother's eye uh, to remove a speck. You know, the story about the log uh, and the speck, it, it's pretty familiar. E- even if you haven't read your Bible or don't know much about Christianity, this one actually, you might have actually heard this one before. But I wonder if you have ever thought about why that little story that Jesus tells about the log and the speck, especially why that story always follows what Jesus says about judging one another. I mean, because in another sermon recorded for us in Matthew, that's exactly the way it appears too. there. Jesus talking about judging and then talking about logs and specks. You know, here hang with me for about two minutes and I'm going to try to show you the connection Here are these ridiculous scenarios, right? A blind man trying to lead another blind man. Of course, that's not going to end well. They're both going to fall in a pit and both be injured. In this other ridiculous scenario, a guy is trying to perform this sensitive, delicate eye surgery to get at a tiny speck in his brother's eye. Meanwhile, he has this log in his eye. Literally, that word log means... The the uh, the load bearing beam in a house, <laughs> I mean, it's like a telephone pole in his eye. Is what Jesus is talking about, you know. But but what's Jesus getting at in these little stories? He tells us with one one little word in verse forty two, "hypocrite," right? You hypocrite, first take the log out of your own eye, and then you will see clearly to take out the speck that is in your brother's eye. That word. hypocrite, it's a very specific word. In in the ancient world, a hypocrite was actually a stage actor right? in in the theater, right? And these stage actors, they would wear masks. They would put masks on their faces to represent the character that they were playing. And so you get it, right? What Jesus is saying. On the outside, they were one thing. Right? But the mask at the very same time, was covering up something else. The mask was hiding who the real person was, the real personality behind that thin mask. Let's see if you're following me here, okay? One of the most effective ways you and I can hide and divert attention from ourselves is by judging others. Right? Right? That's it. That's what. And that's, in fact, why we judge. We are desperately trying to avoid having to look at ourselves. I mean, deep down, we know that we are really, really broken, really, really messed up, really, really twisted and flawed. And we know it would be so painful, such a blow to have to turn and acknowledge that and face that deep brokenness. Did you catch how? How how that story of the speck and the log really started with Jesus, Jesus said, why do you see that speck in your brother's eye, but do not notice the log in your own eye? Way before it gets the eye surgery, Jesus is asking, why do you see that speck? You are looking at that other person's flaws. You are noticing their brokenness. You are you are starting to paint your caricature of that person. Why? Why? Because if you can just deal with that person. Then you don't have to deal with this person. And you don't have to see the ugly truth of this person. If you can see the ugly truth of that person. Listen, not just this is not just you. (laughs) You. I'm not trying to be scolding. We are so adept at this. I mean, this is so second nature to us. We've done such a good job hiding from others and hiding from ourselves that some of us, even right now, even right now, you're thinking, "I'm not really sure if I do that." My wife probably does that. Um, you know, my my friends probably do that, but not but not me. Or or you're trying to, you know. Do your ninja block on this, you know, deflect it another way. And you're saying to yourself, oh, you know, here goes Nathan again. He's psychologizing, you know, too much. Trust me, this is nothing, nothing new. I mean, in fact, the first time sin entered the world, this hypocrisy, this hiding from others and hiding from ourselves was right there. And it's always been there wherever there is brokenness. And wherever there is sin, there is hypocrisy and hiding, right? Do you remember that story? Adam and Eve, right? They sent when they sinned, they sinned. And when they did, they realized they were naked immediately. And so they went and got fig leaves to cover themselves. Then what? They went and hid in the garden. They're hiding, right? And all of a sudden they were utterly exposed. They were so utterly exposed and vulnerable. They had to hide from each other. The truth was way too painful. And then what happened when God came and asked them how they realized they were naked? Do you remember that story? Adam said this. This is my paraphrase. Don't look at me. You know, it's not my fault. Let's talk about that woman you gave me. Right? You know, um, then God turns to Eve and she says, hey, don't look at me. You know. Don't look at me. Let's talk about that serpent. You see what they're doing? They're saying, you know, it's complicated. Right? And what I am saying is deep down, we are desperately trying to hide. We can't bear to look at ourselves. So we look at everyone else. We are so desperately trying to cover up this broken place that is in the middle of our lives. That if it were exposed... I mean, we feel like we would shrivel up and die on the spot. So, yeah, why, why do you think you see your wife's faults with such vivid clarity? And why, or why do you see your husband's flaws with such pointed certainty? Or why are you so quick to pounce on your children when they mess up? Because, listen, it's way easier and it's way safer for you than having to face the beam that is in your eye. And why do you paint character, caricatures of that church or, 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 you know, those people, right? Or that political figure or even create straw men that you can tear down so easily? Because it's way easier and way safer for you than for having to look at yourself and see the beam that is in your eye. Look, I wish I could do a lot more here. But real quick, if you're following me, this won't be too hard to figure out. The beam and the speck that are in view in that parable are not, they are not Jesus' way of talking about a big sin and a little sin. It's Jesus' way of talking about self-righteousness and sin. The beam is self-righteousness and the speck, it doesn't really matter. It could be anything. And listen, that's why Jesus, in the very next breath, starts talking about good fruit and bad fruit in trees. He's saying, diagnose your self-righteous heart like this. If you see bad fruit in your life, lying, lust, coldness, greed, manipulation, anger and bitterness, whatever, it's not because it's complicated. It's because the tree is bad. Verse 45, the good person out of the good treasure of his heart produces good, and the evil person out of his evil treasure produces evil. For out of the abundance of the heart, his mouth speaks your doing and your activity always flow out of who you really are. The real person behind the mask. Okay, there's a lot in that second point, And some of you are probably wondering if I had a bad week or something. I mean, this is like a lot of bad news to like just be dumping on you. Because um, you know, I'm saying stop judging. Because by the way, it's the natural impulse of your heart to be critical and judgmental of others. And I'm saying, do you stop hiding because the reason you judge is because and the reason you see all these other little specks in everybody else's eye is because you desperately want to hide from yourself because, you know, it's that bad. That you'll do anything to avoid looking at yourself. But look, finally, we get to this point where Jesus says, build on the unshakable foundation. I know it seems like we've traveled a long way from where we started, but it's all been building to this point. This is the big now what question, right? Are you going to build your life on a rock solid foundation or not? And it has huge implications for everything that Jesus just said. So hold on, because I'm going to tie it all together in a second. But verse 46 and 47 set the stage, really, for this final story that Jesus tells. He says in those verses, why do you call me Lord, Lord, and do not do what I tell you? Everyone who comes to me and hears my word and does them, I will show you what he is like or I will tell you what he is like. And then he tells us about these two houses right on the surface. These two houses, if you were to look at them, they look exactly the same. You can't tell a difference between the two of them. Right. They both have walls. They both have windows. They both have roofs. They both have, uh, you know, whatever. They have all this house stuff. Right. But, you know. You can't. But the one thing that is different, Jesus says, one house was built on the foundation of rock. And when the flood rose and the stream broke against that house, it did not crumble. It was unshakable. It could not be moved. But the other house, because it had no foundation, even though it looked just the same from the outside, the flood rose and the stream broke against it and it crashed and broke into a thousand pieces on the ground. Now, we don't have a a lot of time, so let me get straight to the heart of it. What Jesus is saying here is he is saying that he is the foundation. And he is saying that if you build your identity on him, if you find your worth in him, if you trust in His righteousness and not your own self-righteousness, if you trust in His work and not your own, if you build your identity on Him, then you have built on the unshakable foundation and you will never crumble and fall. But He's also saying with this other house, if you build your identity on the shifting sands of approval, on the shifting sands of your performance and your works, if you build your identity on that thin mass, that thin veneer of your self-righteousness, when the stream breaks against you, you are going to fall to pieces. And I, I know that someone's thinking right now, Preacher, I, I think you missed it. Because Jesus is talking about hearing and doing. You know, practicing, obeying, right? Activity, isn't that what he... Of course he's talking about that. But don't you get what he just told you in the parable of the fruit and the trees, Right? your doing, your practicing, your activity, it is always a byproduct of your being, of who you are. Activity is always a result of your identity, always a result of the foundation you have built your life upon. I'm reading this book right now by a researcher, a researcher named Brene Brown. Um, If you're into TED Talks or something, maybe you've seen seen her on, on that. But, uh, Anyway, she says this in her book that I'm reading. Love and belonging are are essential to the human experience. As I conducted my interviews, I realized that only one thing separated the men and women who felt a deep sense of love and belonging from the people who seemed to be struggling for it. That one thing is the belief in their worthiness. It's as simple and complicated as this. If we want to fully experience love and belonging, we must believe we are worthy of love and belonging. And elsewhere, I love how she uses this one word to talk about people who are struggling for love and belonging. She says they are hustling for it, right? Hustling for it in their performance, right? In gaining approval from others, in appeasing others, in fitting in, which is very different from belonging. You know, Brene Brown's research hits on a lot of truth. I mean, yeah, love and belonging are essential to the human experience. We don't have time to unpack that whole thing. But you were built for it. You have to have it. You are made that way. It is encoded in your DNA as a human being made in the image of God. And yet this kind of makes sense too, right? He, he, the, the part that she says about the uh, the the fact that we have to know that we are worthy in order to have a sense of love and belonging. Because she's saying... It really bubbles up. It really springs up out of identity. But here's the million dollar question How do you get to the point where you believe in your worthiness? Just by believing it? (laughs) Um, You can trust me on this. I've tried it, and that doesn't work. Um, You know, because you try and believe it, and there will always be the sense upon you. That you're flawed and that you're broken and that you're messed up in spite of what you keep telling yourself. Because guess what? You are. That's why it keeps coming back. Or maybe you try to get it through your performance. You know, but that doesn't really work either. And I've tried that one as well. Um, You know, that's an automatic shortcut to the mask of blind self-righteousness. A self-righteousness you will be always hustling for, but never attaining. Brene Brown is right, but she's missing. She is missing the only real way to get what you desperately need. This love, this deep sense of love and belonging. The only real way to do that and get that is to build your identity upon Jesus, upon the solid foundation. To do that, you have to do like it says in verse 48. You have to dig deep. You have to get this truth, your identity in Jesus, deep down into your heart. Because you know what the gospel says? It says this. Jesus saw through your mask to the person you really are. He knows you better than you know yourself. He saw how broken you are, but he loved you so much that, listen, though he was God. Though he was God, he came not to condemn you. Or to judge you, but to be condemned and to be judged for you. And what did he do about that load bearing beam stuck in your eye? The gospel says he was crucified on that beam for you. In him and in him alone, you find the healing kiss of truth and love, of righteousness and grace. And trust me, trust Jesus. It will change you. You can never stop judging. And you can never stop hiding on your own. You are too vulnerable. You are too exposed. It's not possible for you to give up the mask on your own. That that truth is way too scary for you to handle. But when you see truth and love meet at the cross for you and find your worth all wrapped up in Jesus, that God himself came to die for you, That's when you find freedom because you no longer need to hide Then, because you are so thoroughly loved. And how could you possibly look down on others? Because you are now able to face the truth about yourself in Jesus. Jesus is asking you this morning. Now what? What will you choose a foundation of rock or sand? You know, in truth, Jesus has been asking this now what question all throughout this passage. He is saying, are you blind or are you seeing? Right? Do you have a speck in your eye or a beam in your eye? Are you a good tree or a bad tree? And the way to answer all those other questions is just to decide right now whether you will build your identity on Jesus or not. Let's pray together. Our gracious Heavenly Father, we thank you for sending Jesus into this world. We thank you that He came, that He came for the sick, that He came for the unrighteous. Father, we thank you that He came for people like us, for people with beams in our eyes. For people who are afraid to look at ourselves and see the truth about ourselves. We are thankful that he came for people like us who so often turn and and look at other people instead of looking at ourselves. Father, we thank you that in him we can find an identity that truly and really sets us free an identity that shows us our worth, that the God of the universe considered it joy to come and die for his people. Father, we pray that in seeing our great worth to you, that we would find a great freedom as we understand the gospel that Jesus was broken for us that he was cast outside to bring us in. And in that, that we would find a freedom to put away the mask and to stop hiding. That in it, we would find a freedom to notice first the beam that is in our eye rather than the speck that is in our brother's eye. Father, we pray that you would free us from judgmental and critical spirits that in knowing the truth about us, that though we are broken, we are loved, that we would be able to move towards one another in love and be able to speak truth and love the way the cross speaks truth and love to us. For it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.